0: Welcome, everyone, to Pensive Politics with your host, Mr. Watson. Uh, and today, I am here with two very special guests. I am here with Kaylee Cunningham and Christopher Bernard of the of the uh, of the American Conservation Coalition, which is a free market environmentalist group that posits non governmental, mostly non governmental solutions to the world's climate problems. How are you guys doing today?
1: Great, thank you for having us. Yeah, all
2: good. Thanks a lot.
0: Absolutely. No problem. No problem. Because this is an area that I've been really wanting to get into for a very long time because the environmentalist movement and the environmentalist lobby is typically plagued by people who do not see a role for individual action solely uh, to be the forefront of the movement, but instead see a role for governmental action to be the default mode of the movement. So as first principles go, I'm going to ask both of you this question. Either of you can feel free to jump in and take it. But what does environmentalism mean to you? Because when most folks think of environmentalism, at least here in America, not sure how it is across the pond where Christopher is, uh, they think of Captain Planet, uh, Ted Turner's uh, brainchild, or Gaylord Nelson's pu- push for Earth Day, and things of that sort. So either one of you can take this question. What does environmentalism mean to you? Define the term for me.
1: Chris, do you want to go?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I, th- I First of all, I think the most important thing to remember about environmentalism at its most basic is it's it's a pretty instinctive response that people have to a desire for preservation and conservation of mm-hmm. of what we consider to be beautiful and valuable in nature it's, it's a pretty instinctive response um, right and so so when i when i think of environmentalism i think of a a healthy respect for the natural world that sustains us from clean air to clean water and everything in between. But as you say, one of the problems with environmentalism is that it's become political rather than um, a personal thing. So so it's become something that is associated <laughs> with with um, government solutions or, or government um, coercion or top-down ideas rather than with people and with individuals. And, and the responsibility that each person should have towards the natural world that we reside in and it's become something that's politicized to be able to advance all kinds of other ideas from within the political sphere. um so i think that that's kind of the distinction between environmentalism as it should be and environmentalism from a political perspective.
1: right and we we are a part of it and so and you know that we breathe the air we drink the water Um, Mm -hmm. So not only is it, you know, a place where we can go and enjoy, but really, like, we need, we need this to survive. And so um, there really isn't any reason that that anyone shouldn't care about um, the environment, the same reason, everyone should pay at least a little bit of attention to politics, whether, whether you're Mm -hmm. passionate about it or not, the laws affect your life every single day.
0: No, I think that's absolutely correct. The environment and the natural world, all that kind of stuff, is crucial, uh, indispensable to the sustenance of human life. Uh, but some, something you said, Chris, really struck me. You said that a deference or a, a sort of an admiration of the environment is instinctual. Uh, in what way do you mean that? Because I think for a great majority of human history, human beings have had no problem chopping down trees, killing, uh, killing animals or wildlife. Fashioning buildings and massive palaces and majestic structures out of out of the, the the sort of essence of the earth. So, what do you mean? It's instinctual. Uh, is it instinctual now? Since we have we are in a, a a period of time in which we can conceptualize the importance of the environment and then surround that conceptualization with protection efforts given our technology, or is it in, was it always instinctual? But it just took a little bit of a time to arrive. What do you mean by that? I'm curious.
2: Yeah, I think I think when I'm talking about instinct, there's the instinct for beauty and for kind of enjoyment of beauty, which which is often what is found in nature. But mm-hmm. obviously, what you mention about the times when we've chopped down trees and created big palaces and industrialized nature, that was because the instinct for the beauty of nature. Um, conflicted with the instinct for human progress or for overcoming our poverty. And, mm-hmm. and one of the great kind of um, angles that Kaylee and I fight for is the idea that prosperity actually allows us to be in a position to better care for nature and to accommodate mm-hmm. our instinct for beauty and for enjoying the natural world. Um, and so so I do, I do think that most people that look at a beautiful landscape and instinctively say, I prefer that landscape to a few skyscrapers standing there and and so that's what i mean by instinctive but obviously um uh, the instinct for beauty will never beat the instinct for survival which is often what has happened with industrialization and pollution but now we're we're reaching a world where we're increasingly able to move beyond that and return to a kind of um working with nature that that we need to return to
1: yeah and chris what you're referring to there is is what's known as the kuznets curve so um, not only is this an assumption, it's backed up by science, but yeah. <laughs> there is there is um, a point in which uh, society per- progresses where they they really have to work on industrializing to, um, you know, reach the needs of of their population and be able to lift up the most vulnerable out of poverty, which is, um, you know, the part where we're, we're seeing, you know, India and China are biggest polluters in this kind of Timeframe right now, where we went through an industrial revolution and, and polluted for quite some time, um, and now we're at the point where um, we can afford to, you know, advance these technologies that make things a lot cleaner.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's not only just cleanliness of air and water and all that, but it's also the way we interact with wildlife. So, for example, if you look at um, if you look at wolves and, and bears and lions you see that, the, that the, the highest populations for those animals are in richer countries because we've reached a point where we can conserve them and we don't necessarily need them to sustain ourselves anymore. So when people talk about we need to get rid of our capitalist way of life or we need to have a degrowth strategy because growth means environmental exploitation, they don't take into account that we actually need growth to be able to protect the environment in the long run because it gives us the means to do so and we are mm-hmm. reliant on the kind of um, sustenance from the land as we have been for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm. And very interesting. I I noticed one of the platform points one of the sort of goals on the uh, on you guys' website uh, mentions mentions uh, the the past efforts that have been taken by the federal government from Nixon to Roosevelt to preserve n- lands, national parks, things of that sort. But it also professes a love and admiration and adoration, so to speak, of private private property and property rights in general as a catalyst, a focus, sort of of pro environmentalism, pro environmentalist action. My question is, do you do, do you believe that the goals between utilizing private property to be the primary focus of environmental action, also utilizing the bludgeon of the government vis-a-vis preservation of lands in the form of national parks and what you call federal lands or public lands, which I'm which is a term I'm not entirely sure uh, is very uh, tenable. Uh, do, th- do those things conflict? And if they don't conflict, in what sense do they cohere? How do they work together?
1: So um, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll probably half answer it, obviously. Chris okay. – please add on afterwards. Um, but, you know, we have to, if we want to really be good stewards and care about the environment, we have to meet the environment where it's at. And right now it's a politicized issue, right? And mm-hmm. so special interest groups, congressmen, activists, you know, they they have a political influence on this. And while bills are still being, are, while bills are written about the environment, while there's, you know, the Department of the Interior and other um, parts of the federal government that oversee lands and resources, um, we have to work with the government. And it's a lot better to work with someone than to try to fight them the whole time. And so um, that's, that's kind of, I think, where we come in is, um, you know, we, we're there, we can talk to politicians. Politicians that don't know a lot about the environment can turn to us for advice. Um, and at the same time, we can teach individuals how they can help as well um, because it, it's not going to be solved just by regulation. In fact, an article came out today by Todd Myers of Washington Policy Center that's showing that, you know, people have been off the road for two months now and air quality has not improved. And so, you know, sweeping regulations that are just kind of a hunch at what will solve the problem is not the way to go. And so it really is those public-private partnerships that, um, that make things work. And, and, you know, in my opinion, I'm a, I'm a very, very small government um, person, but I do believe the government's role is to enforce rights and agreements that are made. Um, and so, uh, you know, property rights have to be defended by someone. And so perhaps that is the government's role. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And I'm, I'm, in terms of like federal lands and public lands versus property rights, I'm, I think it's important to emphasize that that our angle is relatively pragmatic on that and practical and and we look at the current situation that we have national parks but they have many issues with funding backlogs and things like that that we also understand that that there's something that the American people very much enjoy it's one of one of the great things about America is a national park system or at least this kind of respect of nature and that people really enjoy the beauty of America. And in the UK, we have that as well with our national parks. And and we have to, to an extent, work within the Overton window of acceptable public opinion. And there's there's not much sense having a discussion about whether those lands should be privatized or whatever, but we should be looking at how we can introduce market-based mechanisms to make them more sustainable and also localized mechanisms. So how can people that are closer to the ground be empowered to come up with the solutions that works for them Rather than coming from a top-down kind of superstructure, and and that's so, yeah our approach.
1: Yeah, and honestly, to like to even talk to the the other side of the argument, um, you know, like like again, the Green New Deal might be the ideal situation for certain folks, but it's not realistic at all. Zero legislators voted for it. Not even the people that wrote it, and that's because we know we can't just stop procreating and kill all of the cattle in the world and all of the other things it um you know it proposed and so um and so yeah just as like the left maybe thinks that there that giant sweeping regulations might help it isn't politically feasible either
0: right and so i, I see an interesting Cosmic war here between pra- practicality and idealism, and this I think is the is at the core of every political every political battle. Whether it's the environment, whether it's welfare, whatever it might be, it's, it's at the core of every political battle. Um, but would it not be? Could there not be a catal- a catalyst for practical action? that would push towards the privatization of national parks or federal lands given that a lot of your proposals are considered quite radical Uh, by the mainstream environmentalist lobby who are pushing for carbon taxes, who are pushing for a lot of other uh, very oppressive measures that could possibly ring businesses of their flexibility and thus their economic prosperity. That seems to be practical because there's a very clear market for it, but the market for conservative or free market environmentalism that we like to see is a little bit smaller. So how – so – I sense a element of idealism in you guys' proposals in the sense that you're proposing something that is completely radical and against the gr- current grain. So how do you reconcile that? Is there not room for idealism given your current cru- crusade?
2: Well, there clearly is room for some idealism because obviously you're working towards principles. But I think that that the battle is really not on national parks in terms of um, how we should approach them. The battle is... On, on emissions and, and climate change issues, and if we were to get lost in in kind of calling for a utopian America where national parks are privatized, even if that would be a potentially good outcome, that doesn't nec- that that doesn't mean that that it's a good idea for us to focus on that because we would just completely lose all mm-hmm. the people that that are interested in the environmental debate, and they would just see that as kind of overly idealistic and not actually crazy. what they yeah. find important.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I think a good um, thing to, to keep in mind that that we certainly do at ACC is what policies or practices or what have you are actually going to benefit the environment and its quality mm-hmm. and not are things that aren't just for, you know, political game or, or to get your name in the in the headlines or something like that. And so when it does like when it comes to national parks whether like your opinion is yeah they need to be privatized because you know private landowners take care of what they own or or whatever your opinion is like why why not take a baby step in the right direction why not mm-hmm. let people that understand the problems of that ecosystem handle them which which isn't a lot of what we see right now um, some funds for national parks go to people on the ground um, but the majority of those funds, Get to go to the parks, but the decision makers are sitting in Washington D.C. and aren't seeing the problems firsthand. And so, tiny steps like that—you know—that that that might not be the ideal for some uh, people—are definitely aren't a bad thing.
0: Mm -hmm. What would you say to the critique that is often lobbed at free market uh, initiatives to preserve the environment? That Since the profit motive is the all-encompassing force of the economy, as one of my writer friends says, they are the signposts, the street signs of the economy, so to speak, profit is, uh, that businesses are going to be more motivated in certain areas by profit than they are virtue. And so, uh, and this is part of the reason, according to these people, this is not my argument at all, disclaimer, that uh, there is so much environmental turmoil right now because businesses are putting their profits over virtue. What do you say to that argument that if you just have a completely or a mostly free market environmentalist structure that is not as overbearing as it is now, that is not as pre- protective, quote unquote, as it is now, you could potentially see more land loss to profit motive as opposed to virtue. And if you say that if the mar- if the, the the consumers which are the sort of life of the market want there to be more environmentalist environmentalist practices by the businesses, then what would you say to those consumers who may not have that as an interest uh, in their calculus? I so
1: start- I think that oh, oh, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> uh, we're both keen to talk, which is good.
1: Um, we're are economists. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> absolutely,
2: absolutely. I think I think the first thing that needs to be clarified. On the issue of price, which is often something that is that is misunderstood, uh, sorry, profit, which is misunderstood within kind of when people criticize markets, is that price isn't a a profit isn't a thing in and of itself. It's an incentive, and and within Mm -hmm. markets, we know that incentives matter. And so, when you're thinking of devising a a, a kind of more market-friendly environmental framework, you're not just looking at allowing or or incentivizing profit. To no end, you're you're looking at creating a system within which all incentives are taken into account, and within which also um, negative externalities are taken into account, which would be mm-hmm. kind of flip side to profit. And so, so our our answer to environmental problems from a free market perspective isn't saying just let the market run run rampant without anything else. That profit will just destroy the environment. It's saying that we need to align the incentives for people to be able to come up with these solutions and in many ways an incentive for profit to serve the environment is as you say, mm-hmm. the consumers yeah. wanting greener energy or companies to be more um, environmentally friendly.
0: And if I might ask how exactly is the mechanism that you incentivize them? Do you incentivize them through tax credits? Do you incentivize them through some sort of government action? What do you do to incentivize them? Companies, I mean,
2: yes. Well, so right. So obviously for years now, We've had the completely wrong incentives coming from government, uh, primarily in, in the form of fossil fuel subsidies and mm-hmm. and burdensome regulations that, that prohibit um, or mm-hmm. inhibit uh, innovation and things like that. So we need to re-level that playing field, first of all, by completely eliminating all fossil fuel subsidies. Um, secondly, by creating a truly kind of uh, clean free trade of environmental goods and services across the planet so that we can share these. Um, and fair innovation coming around the world. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, by we need to level the playing field by making, um, making <clears throat> it incentivizing businesses to pursue clean alternatives. And you can do that by having uh, clean tax cuts or having um, clean asset bonds and loans, which is basically um, very cheap debt for them to finance projects and things like that. But you really need to be able to... Uh, the government has screwed it up for so long, but we also kind of need them to be able to create that level playing field again.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. And even, I think, going even further, um, and, you know, this this ties into almost every aspect of politics, but increasing that um, that even playing field for consumers as well, like we mentioned at the beginning, the wealthier mm-hmm. you are, the more, you know, you're able to think about things like this and care about the environment and afford, like, greener, products and so and so yeah the more money we can get into the individual's pocket and we won't go into what will do that but um but i think like that's gonna help too and allowing um and and yeah stop holding up uh we definitely have to stop the cronyism. Holding up failing industries is, is absolutely not the way to go. It doesn't help anyone. Everyone is going to be a lot better off in the long run. They'll be at better-paying jobs, even if it does take a while to transfer uh, to find a new one or or learn those skills. Um, and yeah, we were Chris and I were even talking earlier this week about um, all the potential jobs there are with green energy as opposed to fossil fuels. Mm Hmm. interesting
2: i just want to add one other aspect of kind of a level playing field is that competition is actually a very good thing um Mm -hmm. and that's something that people that are come from the big government angle don't really understand is that they they think that the government can throw subsidies at something and then it'll automatically innovate and and save us all but we understand that competition is what drives innovation but it also drives prices down to keep it affordable for people so if you look Mm -hmm. at for example the most competitive energy markets in America tend to have lower prices, energy prices, and also less emissions because there is this self-innovation and consumers are able to choose the energy that they want, which is often a clean energy. And because there's this competition between different energy sources and companies to provide the cheapest, cleanest energy, the energy is also going to be less expensive for people. So it's, it's introducing these market mechanisms and ideas into the debate that will really create a lot of change. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I would definitely encourage um any of your listeners to tune in to um any of the Texas based events we're having we're having on Facebook Live. Um Texas, if it was its own country, I believe would be number five in the world as far as green energy production. Um and so that is super impressive. And we are seeing these results from freer and freer markets. Mm-hmm
0: very interesting um yeah i think texas has a gold mine of of, of energy down there it's just it's very fascinating
2: um I, so I yeah. in that i just thought of it oh sure absolutely the, the freer the market the cleaner the energy like, i'm quite proud of that one <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's, an, that's a nice ma- and that's a nice mantra <laughs> that's a nice mantra uh, so uh, there are folks who may be confused about the terminology that is used in environmental discussions, clean energy versus renewable energy, because for a lot of people, they are erroneously, erroneously conflated. So could you guys uh, explain, folks, who may not be necessarily aware, what is the difference between clean energy and renewable energy resources like uh, like you know, wind and solar things like that? What's the difference?
2: John, take this, Kaylee, or do you want me to?
1: Sure. I mean, I think the I think the biggest difference, and I'm not a scientist, so I could be saying this wrong, but um, you know, renewable energies are things that will naturally come about again, like sun, trees, and water, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I I think that's half of it, Chris. You <laughs> do that, <laughs> and
0: they're con- and they're considered cleaner too, quote unquote cleaner. They're considered cleaner as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I would. I don't know if you could. I don't know if you would consider nuclear because you have to oh, you know no, there's no, vision not. and all that stuff but it's very right. clean so i don't know if it's renewable but it's definitely clean
2: yeah i i mean it's not really a distinction that i find happens a lot i don't, I don't think a lot of people um get hung up about this uh, but i might be wrong but i think an, another way of looking at it is uh, for example fossil fuels that get um, that go undergo a a carbon capture and and sequester uh, method would become a clean energy source, but not necessarily renewable. I think that's there's a distinction there. So that we might mm-hmm. be looking at innovations that can actually make fossil fuels um, clean, quote unquote. For also, for example, turning natural gas into hydrogen and then sequestering mm-hmm. the carbon from that. But that doesn't make them renewable. And then there's the difference between that and. Uh, wind and solar and i i don't think a tree tree energy like wood energy would be considered renewable because you can't reuse the same energy from the tree but obviously the tree grows again so I'm, there's a bit of <laughs> i'm a bit confused on that one specifically but
1: i need some biologists <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so um, i'm certainly no scientist either so i will not claim to know any of those things necessarily at their core root precisely mean but that's a very good explanation. Uh, so it, it, this sort of free movement to ca- recapture the environmentalist movement and the concept as well from overbearing government action is quite virtuous, in my opinion. Uh, my question is: Have have has there been any sort of inter, intra intra dialogue in, in, within the environmentalist movement between your group and other more left-leaning or even "Quote unquote conservative groups that advocate for some more overbearing things like a a a, a form of the carbon tax, but they claim it's not a carbon tax, but really is a carbon tax. Has there been any sort of dialogue between your group and them?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We are more than happy to work with anyone on the issues we agree on, and um and make awesome events and and press releases and whatever else out of it. Um, you know, we do not." Uh, believe in a carbon tax, a carbon tax is the way to solve climate change, but we work with groups like CCL and, and others. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've even worked uh, with groups that support the new green deal. We did an event with Van Jones just the other week. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we, you know, we're called American conservation coalition for a reason. And that is that we are definitely willing to work with whomever uh, wants to help us accomplish our goals.
0: Mm hmm anything to add, Chris
2: yeah I, I think I think the most important thing is for there to be honest conversations around these issues and and I mean obviously i I operated in the uk uh, with primarily with the British conservation lines but it we're obviously very closely linked to to ACC in America um but yeah we 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 have conversations with people across the aisle as well and 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 I think people too tend to be happy that there are more conservatives slash libertarians. Um, starting to uh, address these is- issues more. One of the things that I found interesting when talking about to, to people within this space has been getting the libertarian uh, think tanks and organizations on board with it and to get them to stop seeing the environment as a kind of Trojan horse for socialism, but to see that as-, as a really important <laughs> level for our ideas to be worn on as well. And so as much as we have to convince um, left-wing groups of the of the merits of our approach there's also um, a battle that we have to have with with a libertarian and conservative movement that has typically ignored these issues and and i think that's really where acc and bca kind of position themselves
0: Mm -hmm. and i'm I'm sure you could tell by my questioning that i am not all that entirely convinced by the I, i am very skeptical of any anything i like the environment but I'm very skeptical of any movement or any or any action that seeks to protect the environment because uh, it, it it has been conflated historically with government action. I'm not sure it's been conflated with socialism. I'm not that that if folks believe that that's really concerning. I think socialism is tossed around like candy these days and it really doesn't have any meaning anymore. But I, I, I do think it has been co conflated with I think more uh, m- more more truthfully coercion, and that's what a lot of folks are worried about because. When you uh, say you want to incentivize people to do certain things and, that, and in very limited forms, you want to incentivize businesses vis-a-vis the mechanisms of government. The principal question that comes to my mind is that people who are proponents of the, of the carbon tax also, also want to use the government to provide a disincentive for a certain kind of activity. Um, principally, the only thing, the only main difference between the kind of incentives you guys want to propose and the kind of incentives they want to propose, or disincentives the incentives they want to propose, is the fact that they want to use coercion, and you guys want to use less coercion. You guys they want to want, use mostly, yeah. They on,
1: they want to use force. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, gover- the government is force. Honestly, it is. If you if you're advocating for a tax for carbon, that means that you are advocating that if that person does not pay that financial penalty, they should be locked mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. and that's what Cerebral. you're saying. And what mm-hmm. we are saying is that everything should be voluntary and something that you want to do and something that you agreed to do. Right. I love. I don't know if you've ever seen. Um, pen uh speak the magician um but he's he's a liber- self-identified libertarian and he uses mm-hmm. the metaphor that the federal government is a gun and so it when is. you're saying yeah when you're saying let's let's tax these people you're saying let's hold a gun to their head for their money
0: mhm but so but you don't mind using the government to incentivize voluntary activity because that's, that's that is the system and structure that is in place right now.
1: Yeah. So if you and me get into an agreement of you know of whatever and you don't uphold your end, I have to have some way to hold you accountable, and that's mm-hmm. probably either going to come through some sort of insurance agency or the government. Oh, certainly.
0: So cer- certainly, certainly. Uh, I, I'm and right before we end because we're, we're coming up on time chris i'm interested just very shortly if you can Mm -hmm. how is the environment viewed by tories by conservatives in the united kingdom because european conservatism is a very different animal than american conservatism how is it viewed there generally
2: i think we're we're luckier in so far as our conservative party as opposed to the republican party doesn't have a history of um being associated with climate denialism um and so so (laughs) i'm serious about that though because
0: no, I know.
2: one of the problems in america is that republicans are starting to wake up to it partly thanks to the amazing work of acc but one of, the, one of the problems in the past is that they've had this kind of reputation for just not caring about it or denying that there's a problem in the uk there there hasn't been such a denial but there has tended to just been a lip service to environmental action whereas not too much has been done um so so they're more receptive to it and 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 relatively good on it from the optical level that obviously a lot of work needs to be done as to the actual solutions.
0: Phenomenal. Well, look, you two are great guests. I I hope that what the ACC does continues to bear fruit. And I hope that you guys continue to have more victories for Liberty as the future goes on. So with that in mind, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. And I'm Christian Watson. And for now, just stay pensive and stay safe.